Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio as we continue our study in the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. And today we launch into a study of the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the sixth of the seven churches mentioned in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And of course, Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. And it's interesting, our last letter, the letter to the church of Sardis, along with the letter today, the letter to the church of Philadelphia, these two churches have no rebuke. There's no words of correction, just encouragement. And I would regard this not just a pat on the back, but prophetic encouragement. Just a little background that might help with some imagery a little later on in this letter. Uh, Philadelphia experienced a severe earthquake in AD 17. And it wasn't the only time that earthquakes had hit the city, but in 17, it flattened the city. And since it was near the epicenter of this earthquake, there were continual aftershocks and crumbling buildings. And hopefully we can pull in a little bit of how that might affect understanding Jesus's message to this faithful church. And here's how Jesus identifies himself to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. Seems to be a lot right here. Remember, Jesus's identification of himself is a message in and of itself. It's supposed to color the whole language, really. And it's talking about the door being open and shut. And really what was happening here is that these early Christians, many of whom were Jewish believers who embraced the belief in Jesus as the Messiah, were shut out of the synagogue. There was a formal act by which their names could be erased from the rolls of the synagogue. Now listen, it had been a thousand years since King David made Jerusalem the place to meet God and the place to pursue the path to eternal life, and now they were out. They were kicked out. Um, it's a day for another story, but I just share with you, I was excommunicated from my denomination when I joined the Catholic Church. I was accused of joining a heretical denomination, and all I'm going to say today is that wasn't a pleasant experience, but I was only a member of that denomination for a decade. In other words, my attachment was 1% of what these early believers experienced when they were kicked out of the synagogue. And what Jesus is trying to do is reach out to them. I have the key of David, David being the one who basically made Jerusalem the capital of Israel and the key of David. And if I'm going to open it for you, nobody can shut you out. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Later on in the letter, he says, I'm going to put a new name upon you, a permanent name, and your name's going to be fixed in the new Jerusalem. So even though you've been excommunicated, so to speak, from the Jerusalem on earth, I'm going to welcome you into 
the new Jerusalem. And then in verse 9, there's some of the toughest words against the Jews who were persecuting these early Christians. And remember, these were Jewish Christians. St. John refers to this attack as a synagogue of Satan. They were not real Jews, he's claimed, because they were not believing in the Jewish Messiah. And these early synagogues were joining up with the Roman Empire to begin really fierce persecution of Christians. I will just say, you can't be a Christian and be anti-Semitic. There's a logical impossibility of being anti-Semitic as a Christian because Jesus is a Jew. If you're anti-Semitic, you're anti-Jesus. And to couple that, it was a Jew writing the book of Revelation who had embraced Jesus as the Messiah. So just don't fall into Martin Luther's trap and take words applying to historical situation and try to basically cast a wide net in the modern world. I don't know if you're aware, but at the Nuremberg rallies, uh, Luther's letters against the Jews were published. And on Luther's birthday began the open persecution of the Jews in Nazi Germany. We don't want to go there. Now, this is where I want to go is verse 10. You need to know about verse 10 if you care about biblical prophecy in the United States. Why do I say that? Because the rapture at any moment view is the most dominant view other than that of St. Augustine, which is held by many Protestants as well as the Catholic Church and preserved in the catechism of the Catholic Church. But the rapture at any moment view fills the airwaves And this isn't me speaking. This is one commentator who said this about Revelation 3.10. It's the single most important passage in the book of Revelation for the dispensational view, that is the rapture at any moment view. What does this verse say? It says this, because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial which is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. I'm going to say this verse one more time because this, if this is the foundation in the book of Revelation for the rapture view, this isn't really that difficult to refute if you kind of hear the rest of the story about it. But let me read it again. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance... I will keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell upon the earth. Now, the first thing you see is to try those who dwell upon the earth. Well, okay, Christians are going to be kept from the trial, so they're going to be pulled up into the sky somewhere for seven years. Well, the those who dwell upon the earth in Chapter 3, verse 10, the earth dwellers experience the hour of trial. Nine times in the book of Revelation, the earth dwellers, or those who dwell upon earth, are referred to. Every time that they're referred to, it's referring to unbelievers, not believers. So there's no believers are going to experience this that are faithful to Christ. It's the unbelievers. But here, Here's something to look very carefully at. There are three words in this verse that you need to highlight. It, number one, 
And I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version, and I recommend you read from the Revised Standard Version, the Catholic edition of it, because I'm going to work from the original language back into English, and I can't do it with a multitude of translations. But in 310, it says this, because, that's the first word you need to highlight. The second word, because you have kept, because you have kept my word, that underline, that's the second key word in this verse that you need to highlight, kept. And then the next phrase, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Again, keep, underline, because, kept, keep. Those are the three key words that will unlock the understanding of this verse. Start with because. In Greek, this conjunction highlights a causal phrase. Because of something, I'm going to do something. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial coming upon the earth. So the basis or the reason for Christ's protection is their perseverance under pressure. Okay, And the the causal phrase, because you have kept my word, is related to the other phrase, the reason for it. They've kept the word of of faithful endurance. Christ is going to keep them from the hour of trial. In other words, the two phrases in the first part of this verse are related. It's perseverance under pressure. It's not perseverance by escaping pressure. It's perseverance under pressure. And This is something rather important to watch here. In 3.10, the word, you have kept my word of patient endurance, and then the contrasting promise, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming upon the earth. This is the exact same verb in both parts of the sentence. Because you have kept faithful perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. So this verb, to keep, is the key in both parts of both the promise and the reason for the promise, the cause of it. Now, the context of this verse is perseverance, protection through faithful perseverance. It's not escape. But there's a verse in the wider context of the New Testament that is also in the context of St. John's writings. St. John wrote the Gospel of John. St. John wrote the book of Revelation. In John chapter 17, we find this, and I'm going to start with verse 14. Verse 15 is the key verse, but the context, the world has hated them because they are not of the world. So, hatred, persecution, and then verse 15. This is how God protects people under persecution. John 17, verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. This is the exact same verb in John 17, 15 that you find twice in Revelation 3.10. Same author, same context, same question. How are they kept through the hour of persecution? They're preserved by God. So what about all the stuff that happens on the earth? I've already mentioned this. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 2, another angel with the seal of the living God with a very loud voice. In other words, listen to this. 
Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God upon their foreheads. The sealing will protect in the midst of. The sealing isn't some ticket to escape from the earth. It's to be preserved through it. And then there's a similar verse in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 4. These are critical verses, 7-2 and 9-4. Now, those given the judgment to fall on the earth, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green growth or any tree, but only those of mankind who have not the seal of God on their foreheads. Do you realize that there is a paragraph in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 1296, that has in its scriptural footnote, Revelation 7-2, Revelation 9-4, talking about confirmation, the seal of our Holy Spirit marks our total belonging to Christ, as well as the promise of divine protection in the great eschatological trial. That's how historic Christian teaching preserved in the catechism understands being kept through eschatological trials. Finally, Jesus promises, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple. The temple's the New Jerusalem. It's also called the Catholic Church. And even though you've been cast out, even though your name's been erased from the synagogue rolls, your name is never going to be erased. I'm never going to blot out your name. You're going to be a pillar in the temple, firm, stable, and secure. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 72 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy and to order copies of Luke 21 broadcasts, visit us online at luke21.com.